Good morning, Colorado. You're listening to the Daily Sun Up with the Colorado Sun. It's Tuesday, November 14th. Today, Sun business and tech reporter Tamara Chang checks in from the supercomputing conference and why it's in Denver for the fourth time in the past 10 years. Before we begin, we'd like to thank our sponsor, the Colorado Department of Healthcare Policy and Financing. HCPF is raising awareness of the invaluable roles of direct care workers and the direct care workforce in Colorado. Direct care workers play a crucial role in enhancing the lives of individuals requiring assistance due to disability, age, or illness. Learn more about the impact of these workers and how to become one by visiting hcpf.colorado.gov direct-care-spotlight. Now, let's go back in time with some Colorado history. In 1910, Denver's Daughters of the American Revolution chapter urged Colorado to redesign its state flag. They found the existing blue banner with the state seal less than inspiring. The DAR proposed a red flag with a white stripe and seal, but legislators weren't won over. Finally, Andrew Carson, a Denver theater manager, proposed a more symbolic design, a blue field with a white stripe and a red C containing a golden center, representing the Rocky Mountain Columbine, mining, sunshine, snow, and the state's Spanish heritage. His design was officially adopted in 1911. However, its vague specifications led to a number of variations until 1964, when amendments standardized its elements. Before we continue, another quick message. On December 5th, First Bank and Colorado Gives Foundation are proud to present Colorado Gives Day, a one-day online fundraiser for local nonprofits. Since 2010, people just like you have raised $415 million, and over $53 million was donated last year alone. To elevate giving, First Bank and other sponsors have contributed more than $1 million to amplify every donation made, which makes Colorado Gives Day easily the best day to give. So let's start a wave of generosity. Donate at coloradogivesday.org. First Bank. Banking for good. Member FDIC. Now our feature story. Welcome everyone and thanks for listening. I'm David Krause, one of the editors here at the Colorado Sun. And I am joined by one of our roving business and tech reporters, Tamara Chang. Hey Tamara, how's it going today? Oh, pretty good, David. How are you? I'm doing great. So... Uh, for our listeners today, this is uh, we were recording this on Monday afternoon, and you uh, found a little nook somewhere. You're inside the massive Denver Convention Center after getting kind of a preview of the annual supercomputing conference that is uh, taking over downtown Denver this week. Um, Tamara, you wrote about it uh, on ColoradoSun.com on Monday. But tell our listeners uh, what you found out in your preview uh, down there today and what's kind of going on this week. Yeah, well, I am here at the Colorado Convention Center in Denver, and this is the SC23 convention. It's a, It happens every year, and it's for the supercomputing um, supercomputer convention. Uh, they, they like to call it the HPC, which is short for High Performance Computing. Um, and, you know... I was actually here last week as well because I had to check out this network they're setting up. So every year, this group of volunteers, they plan out what the conference is going to look like from a network perspective. So like how fast the internet connections are going to be to the to the booth. You know, you've heard of fiber to the home. This is fiber to the booth. And uh, 
SC, the supercomputing industry, they really need a lot of bandwidth for some of the projects they do because this is primarily a lot of researchers, scientists, you know, government agencies like the Department of Energy, um, you know, f- folks who are doing a lot of intense data or data intense projects um, that they need to share. Uh, so they were telling me that this could be the fastest network in the world, uh, maybe the galaxy, um, and it's up to a 6.71 terabits, wait, 6.71 terabits per second, which is super fast. Um, I, I wrote about how fast this is, but by comparison, uh, most households in the U.S. are at 213 megabits per second. Um, so the terabit speed here at the convention is about 250,000 times faster. So you had, let's jump into this and kind of get people perspective on this terabit thing and how fast this crazy thing is. Uh, Tamara, what can you do with 6.71 terabit <laughs> connection if I had that at my house? Well, you know, I could still do things like this. I can still talk to people um, by video chat, of course. But, you know, terabit speeds are really not meant for uh, consumers. Um, the the uses for some of this stuff is, uh, you know, I, I heard about um, this. Well, you know, the 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 uh, planetarium in Chile uh, is they have this gigapixel camera that is taking images of distant galaxies and sharing it with the whole research community. Um, they are sending the data through a, a fiber link, a gigabit fiber link to Miami, to a university there. And then that's being sent up to the supercomputing um, center in Chicago. But for this show, they wanted to share some of the what they're finding with the, you know, convention center, a uh, convention attendees. So they asked for a 400 gigabit um, connection to their booth. And, um, you know, they'll be presenting, I think, on Wednesday. Uh, you know, anyone um, who is at the show can stop by and check it out. You might also be able to see it online and the thing about that is that wasn't even the fastest speed that was requested for this group. Um, they, uh, the um, lab in Chicago, uh, I should have had all this information ready to go. Um, but the Starlight, it's an advanced networking hub. It's, you know, located near uh, Northwest, at Northwestern University and near Chicago. They asked for a 1.2 terabits per second connection to their booth. So the reason why um, this convention has this brag for 6.71 terabits is because of all the requests they got from all the researchers. You know, they add them all up. They um, then they decide, okay, how much do we need? How much bandwidth do we need coming into the convention center in Denver? Then they have to go find out, okay, who who can provide this um, internet? Um, they reached out to companies like Zayo in Boulder, um, which has always supported uh, this the SC convention. Um, then they also got a lot of vendors to donate hardware to make sure that they can um, 
not only provide those terabit speeds, but also provide like the latest Wi-Fi technology for conference attendees. So um, I'm actually talking on um, Wi-Fi, uh, a Wi-Fi connection that's 6E. It's one of the latest connections. And actually, I don't know if I'm on that connection because um, I am on an iPhone. And uh, I know iPhones have Wi-Fi 6, but I'm not sure if they're on Wi-Fi 6E or at least I don't know if my phone is. But anyway, that's the thing about technology. There's always improvements. Um, and even if there are uh, speed improvements, that doesn't mean your technology can support them. So that's why we always have to upgrade. I thought that was an interesting point you made kind of when we did our uh, pre-production conversation, right? When we do these podcasts, we kind of chat through some ideas and conversations and then just kind of let the conversation flow. But you mentioned, right, like... And I kind of was able to connect because I'm limited on understanding all of this. I will say that from the very get go. Um, love working on computers. I've been working on computers since the early eighties, but, and the old school stuff, but never really got into this tech thing. So I love how you're always able, Tamara, to kind of put it into relatable terms, but that give it, talk about that idea of some, you know, the connection in between might be fast. But the thing sending or the thing receiving might not be able to handle that technology, right? Right, right. And this happens all the time. So, like, wireless has never been as fast as wired because a lot of the advances are um, built on fiber optic cables, which are, you know, can offer almost unlimited speeds. But, you know, I don't have a fiber optic cable connected to my iPhone. Otherwise, I'd be tethered to something <laughs> and right. it'd be impossible to have a phone. Um, so, you know, I'm never going to be as fast as my wired network at home or, um, and vice versa. Yeah. Uh, you no, know, my, my mobile speed has limitations. Um, and you know, the thing is, it's like if the, the telephone, uh, poles or the telephone, the actual, you know, in the ground technology improves, then it can take that wife. I mean, it can take that fiber optic bandwidth and blast it um, wirelessly. So that's why we keep seeing these improvements uh, with technology um, when it comes to wireless and wi and wired. Because for us, right, speed at home is more about now we don't just have the one computer in the office where you you know log in and out, and now right. we've got you know four or five phones and smart devices all hooked up. And then you got, you know, three to five people in a common house. Tamara, what is, how does this conference relate to the households in the future? Are there things that we could take as consumers from something like this? Or is it more of a business to business, research to research kind of setup? Yeah. Well, if you think about it this way, you know, I've, um, I'm here at the convention center, right? And today I think, uh, is not as busy, but I think tomorrow, Tuesday, is going to be opening day, so there'll be lots of crowds here. You know, if you've ever been in a crowded area where you just can't get online with your phone, it's really annoying, but that's because there's limited number of connections um, available. And like one of the technologies uh, that I mentioned in my story is IPv6, um, which is allowing more connections per, well, allowing more devices to connect to 
the same internet. Um, and that will hopefully uh, help crowded convention centers. Now, you may not have this issue at home, right? But perhaps, you know, where it used to be just one person getting on line at a time or maybe your family, now your 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 five-person family or however many people you have are all uh, watching videos at the same time. And then all your internet devices are also online checking in and logging in. And there's just like any sort of smart object in your house uh, may be using the internet. So, you know, houses went from like one person online to maybe a hundred devices online now. So, you know, that's why some of the technology isn't just about speed, but it's about making sure many people or many devices can get on at the same time. So we're a long way from uh, dial-up is what you're saying, Tim. <laughs> oh, yes. And I do remember dial-up because I'm that old. <laughs> hey, so last thing, we've got a bunch of really smart, tech-savvy people in downtown Denver this week. Um, if you run into them, say hello for sure. Ask them about what they're doing there. But Tim, or why... Uh, is, why has Denver become kind of a popular hub for this event? It's been here, was in Dallas last year, but this is the third or fourth time in the past decade that they've been to Denver. Why Why do we yeah, so, come back? So the past 20, well, since 2000, they've been here five times, but four of those times have been since 2013. And to me, that was like, well, that seems random. How come they're here so frequently? And, you know, it's, it's not really a coincidence. Um, even though, you know, this group called SCINet, which is the group that like the they're the ISP of this convention, and they go to every town that this convention is at and set up, you know, weeks ahead of time, sets up the super fast network. Um, they actually have to sometimes, you know, tunnel in the ground to get stuff to this to the convention center. Um, so this being the fourth time in the past decade that SC has been here. Um, there's already some some infrastructure in the ground in Denver, and you know, and plus there's this other network of um, federal labs, uh, tech companies that are supporting the technology here. Um, as some people know who've been following my coverage, the area has the Denver Boulder area was named a quantum tech hub um, a few weeks ago by the U.S. government. You know, there's just a lot of um, super fast stuff happening here in the uh, front range and and Denver in particular. So that was a big reason for the group to pick Denver again. I mean, you know, obviously the other reasons are that it needs a place for all the attendees, you know, enough hotels, um, and it needs a convention space to let them in weeks ahead of time, which is what happened here. Tamara, I'm just noticing we record on a, a platform called Riverside, and I'm looking at our numbers. I'm the host. I'm at 720p, and I'm 98% uploaded as we talk. You're the guest. You're at 2160p, and you're 100% uploaded. So you're like we were joking in our pre-production, right? If we, we're recording into the future. It's it's. Uh, <laughs> I'm seeing how I'm putting this together, Tamara. It's at a <laughs> crazy. What is 2160p? You know, that's actually the screen resolution, and I'm on an iPhone, so it's like a super high definition. Um, but super high definition means more data bits. So these, the Riverside program that we're recording on has to transmit every single little bit of data. Um, even though we don't broadcast the video of our calls, 
we do have it. So perhaps if reader, I mean, if folks are listening, you can bug our tech staff to really get our videos, <laughs> our podcast videos online. Um, so maybe someday we do have them. When I'm, it's funny because you're at 100 percent and there are times, uh, Jason Blevins, when we record our Monday podcast and he'll be at like 13 percent uploaded and we'll have to wait like 30 minutes. So this is all coming together for me, Tamara. <laughs> yes, we're in the future. Uh, thanks for the insight, Tamara. As always, always appreciate your tech savviness on things like this and, and making uh, making it understandable for a lot of us. I really appreciate that. want to thank everybody for listening in today. If you want to read more business news around Colorado, read more about this conference, you can go to coloradosun.com and click on the business tab up at the top. And also, uh, I encourage you, as we do weekly, go to coloradosun.com slash working, and you can sign up there for Tamara's free weekly What's Working newsletter. Comes out every Saturday, gives you something to peek at over the weekend, but nothing too crazy. Tamara, have a great week. You too. Thanks for listening, everyone. You can read more at coloradosun.com. Finally, here are a few stories that you should know about today. A migrant crisis that has led thousands of people to seek refuge in Denver is also prompting humanitarian concerns in the high country town of Carbondale. Nonprofits and Pitkin County officials are trying to find long-term shelter for a group of 80 Venezuelan migrants who formed a large camp along the Roaring Fork River. Most came to Colorado by bus from the Mexico-Texas border. They stayed in Denver for a while, but moved on to Carbondale seeking better-paying work. The town has no homeless shelter, and the closest one in Aspen has 18 spots, all full. A nonprofit group is providing the migrants with temporary shelter this week while the search for permanent lodging continues. The Colorado School of Mines is teaming up with Shriver Space Force Base to search for ways to break down forever chemicals that have tainted water and soil near hundreds of military sites across the country. Researchers from the Golden-based university are among several teams of scientists who will try different methods to treat barrels of PFAS-laden soil at the base and gauge whether any could lead to a process to eliminate the chemical. The EPA says consumption of PFAS has been linked to increased risk of cancer and birth defects, among other dangers. The chemical is used in non-stick cookware, waterproof jackets, firefighting foam, and many other products, and is leached into drinking water sources in multiple Colorado communities. A Colorado Sun series documenting the high cost of Colorado found the expense of eating out at a restaurant is up nearly 30% from 2020, and the bill for a typical hamburger at a dine-in burger joint has risen to $15. Restaurateurs blame rising labor costs and across-the-board hikes in what they pay for ingredients. The Colorado Restaurant Association and Foundation says restaurants are facing an increase of 54% in labor costs, 55% for utilities, and 20% for equipment and maintenance. The price of beef is up 43%, cheese is up 79%, and lettuce is up 85%. Learn more about the reporting project at coloradosun.com. For more information on all of these stories, visit our website, coloradosun.com. And don't forget to tune in again next time. The Colorado Sun is nonpartisan and completely independent. We're always dedicated to telling the in-depth stories we need today more than ever. And the Sun is supported by readers and listeners like you. Right now, you can head to coloradosun.com and become a member, starting at $5 per month for a basic membership, and if you bump it up to $20 per month, you'll get access to our exclusive politics and outdoors newsletters. Thanks for starting your morning with us, and don't forget to tune in again tomorrow.